0: Hey guys, I'm Blake, I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock, and so um, I am glad to be here with you this morning as we continue in our series called Picking Up the Pieces this morning. And if you're new with us, uh, we're starting this brand new series that kind of is a connection with our previous series on church hurt. You know, we've noticed and and been through and and in life, like if you're around people, you're going to get hurt. And you're going to deal with hurt. And so the question isn't so much like how do we completely insulate ourselves from hurt. The real question is, is how do we deal with hurt well? And in this part of uh, the series that we're in, what we're talking about is a lot of times hurt will lead people to begin to tear down their entire faith. And so the question is, is how do we not only begin to at times... Break our faith down because we may see some things that are going on in the world. But how do we do it well? How do we begin to really look at what's going on in the culture around us and some of the things that maybe we were taught to believe when we were little and, and taught to believe when we were growing up and and to say, okay, how do we separate? This is what the Bible says, and this is what our culture in our church or in the world is saying. And how do we kind of do that without losing our faith? And the reason we're in this series is because. Honestly, this is rampant within our culture. Last night when I was talking um, through this series, Kelsey and I were even talking about the number of friends that we have that have totally left the faith because of some of the things that they've struggled with and the experiences that they've had. And so this series is really close to my heart. And here's what we're going to say. If you're deconstructing or we call it disentangling, that's okay. It's really okay, because even Jesus did that for people. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we went through this last week, there were multiple times where Jesus said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this, right? Jesus is kind of helping those people delineate through what what is really going on. And so this morning, um, we're going to continue in this series, and this is what I entitled today's message, My Faith is Burning Down. And some of us in this room, maybe your faith is like a bonfire right now. Like it is an inferno and it is burning and you barely made it into the room today. You barely made it in online this morning because, man, it just feels like your whole life is falling apart. Or maybe for you, like for a lot of people, it's been a slow burn. You've had these doubts, you've had these questions, you've had these moments that that didn't quite seem to make sense. And because many times in Christianity we say you should have no questions and you should not have any doubts, we bury it deep down inside, but the ember grows. Does anyone know why in Florida you can't and shouldn't have fires on the beach? Does anyone know? It's not like the beach is gonna catch on fire, right? It's not. But the reality is is when you have a fire in Florida and you dig it into the sand and and the the fire begins to burn out, what do a lot of people do? You cover it with sand. Did you know that that fire will burn for days underneath the sand? And what was happening to people is they were walking around on the beach and they would walk into a couple-day-old fire and their feet would become severely burned because the coals that were burning slowly underneath. I think that's what's happening to a lot of us in this current culture. Where there's kind of this slow burn fire in our life that we've tried to cover up and we've tried to do all of these things. And man, like it's getting ready to burn you. And once that happens, it begins to spread rapidly. And as I was thinking about this, a great story was brought to mind. Chris, can you pull up this picture? Does anyone know where this is? You can guess. I mean, there's, you know, there are wrong answers, lots of wrong ones, but you can guess. Anybody know? Washington, D.C., keep going. Sistine Chapel, so Italy. Okay, I'm going to, all right, so here's what, this is actually the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. I was there, um, I mean, we. I've been there a few times, and most recently we were there a year ago uh, with Piper. And if you know anything about what happened is you actually can't go inside this building right now. Because on April 15th, 2019, this cathedral burned down. Notre Dame, there was a small fire that began to be lit in one of the attics of the cathedral. And quickly, that fire began to spread rapidly. And because of like the rafters in the building were so old, the whole entire building lit up. Does anyone remember this happening years and years and years ago. They still have scaffolding around the building. They're trying to rebuild it now. But what was really interesting about this, and in, in the story by Brian in the book, When Everything's on Fire, reminded me of this, is as you were watching the news of Notre Dame burning down, many times they would go and look at the crowd because it seems like the entire city of Paris showed up. And all of these people were watching this monument that they had walked by their entire life burning to the ground in the moment it was beginning to burn is the moment they realized how precious it actually was. And people were suffering and people were, were so overwhelmed by what was happening in front of them. And, and, but they had walked by that building for maybe years of their life and not even looked at it twice. And that's what happens for a lot of us when we get into these moments in life where it seems like our faith is burning down. Here's the deal. You might have had faith your whole life, but the moment it begins to burn down is the moment you realize how precious that actually is. And so today, what I want us to talk about is what do we do when we start to feel like things are getting out of control? When we start to feel like, man, like this is too much and and I might lose my way and I've kind of given up on all of this stuff. And let me just tell you, like as a college professor at Liberty, I would say like six out of 10 conversations that I would have with students were about this. Hey, a lot of things that I learned growing up, they're different here and I didn't even know about that. So I don't even know what to believe anymore. I don't know if any of this is true. And because like you said that this was true and I found out that it wasn't, now I'm questioning everything else. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look in the book of 1 John and we're going to take a look at how John the writer is helping this group of believers who have begun to burn down their faith. And he's going to encourage them and talk with them about what they need to do. Because here's what was going on in that time. The, the book of 1 John is written to the churches of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation. And here's what we know. Those churches really didn't end up very good. Five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation didn't heed First John. And what happens to those churches is, is as we get down the road and we get into the book of Revelation, five of the seven churches that this letter was written to have departed from the faith. They have moved away, they have fallen apart, they, are, they are, are moving away from Christianity and their roots. And so we know that this message is so important, and if not heeded well, it can have disastrous results in our families, in our lives, and all around. And so what was happening is, in Turkey, where these seven churches are, there's a lot of Greek philosophy. And there was this philosophy going around at the time that said this, flesh is evil, And so the reality is, is there's no way that Jesus could have shown up on this earth and been God in flesh because flesh is evil. And so either Jesus was, one view was that he was like a hologram. He was here, but he wasn't really human. He just had this appearance of human. And the other is this, he's not really God. And so what happens is, is he was just a really good anointed man, but he wasn't God. And here's the disastrous consequences that this had for these people. All of these people began to say, so then how are we saved? If Jesus is not God and man who died for our sins, then how are we saved? How are we rescued? How how do we do any of these things? And what began to happen is this teaching began to come in and people began to freak out. And how many of us know, like when celebrity Christians leave the faith, we really freak out, right? It's like when the lead singer of that band or that mega church pastor left or whatever, we go, man, those guys are the elite. How can they begin to leave? And what I've found so many times is they walk through a process of disentangling the culture in the Bible and what began to happen is the culture began to influence the Bible more than the Bible influencing the culture and they lost their way. And this isn't said out of a voice of judgment. It's just saying if it can happen to the best of us, it can happen to the rest of us. And so we have to be prepared. And so if we're in this room and you're like, you know what, Pastor Blake, I don't know if this message is for me because I'm not struggling in my faith at all. Like I feel great and I feel like I know exactly what I believe and why I believe it. And this isn't a big deal for me. Well, the reality is, is your neighbor, your your siblings, your, your family, your kids probably are. Probably someone you know in this life right now is struggling, or at least they're starting to distance themselves away from the faith. Because we've done a terrible job in Christianity of allowing people to say, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I have a doubt about this. Hey, I'm not sure about this. I I don't know what is going on. And so not only do we have to begin to tear things apart like Jesus, but we also have to treat people that are struggling like Jesus did. And there's a man in the Bible, he has a terrible nickname. His name's Doubting Thomas. And you know what's interesting about when Thomas begins to show up and he says, look, I can't deal with this disappointment again. I thought Jesus was going to live forever. I thought he was going to rule a kingdom here on earth, and now he's dead. I can't put my heart on the line like that again. So unless I see the marks in his hands and on his sides, I will not believe I can't do this again. And a lot of us look at Thomas and go, man, come on, man, weak. You're weak. You have little faith. But the reality is is something that Thomas had built in his mind began to burn down and it set everything on fire. And until he really met Jesus again, he wasn't going to risk his heart again. And so what happens, they're in a locked room and Jesus shows up in the room. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't say, hey, dummy, come here. I thought you knew better than this. How could you doubt me? How could you deal with this? Like, how, like, I'm showing up. Your friends have told you they've seen me. Come on. What does Jesus do? As soon as he shows up into the room, he immediately locks eyes on Thomas and he looks at Thomas and he says, Do you see the nail marks? And do you see the mark in my side? Come and touch them. Whatever you need to do, I'm here. And he meets Thomas in his doubt with compassion and empathy, ready to walk with Thomas through that moment. And Thomas doesn't even need to feel the marks in his side or anything like that. And Thomas immediately says, my Lord and my God. Because Jesus dealt with and approached Thomas in a way that was loving. It was more about not winning an argument. It was about winning the person. And for a lot of us in here, the doubts that other people have begin to feel like a personal offense to us, so we get upset. And we want to win an argument rather than win a person. And so today, like, how do we do that? How do we begin to walk through this well? And if we're deconstructing, how do we do this well? But not only that, how do we deal with our neighbors well? How do we deal with our friends well? How do we love people that are questioning the very things that we hold so dear in our heart and not be offended But meet them right where they are. And so today, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting here in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this that which was from the beginning, this is referring to Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, this is really important for John. If you're familiar with this gospel that John wrote, he begins his gospel and says this, the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. So John's calling together a, a remembrance for you and I. And he says, "This we've touched this, he says, the life appeared and we have seen it and testify it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which the father and has uh, with the father and has appeared to us. So this is what, G- this is what John is saying. I've been there we were there. I saw Jesus in 4D. Like I experienced him. We, we knew him. We touched him. We talked to him. We lived life with him. Like I was there. And here's one of the most important things when we talk about deconstruction in our life is this. You have to follow someone who's already been there. Here's what's happening in our current culture. And, and it's understandable, but we have to get a little bit wiser As this. We go online and we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok. Someone makes a Facebook post. And what they lead with is the feelings that they have. And we identify with those feelings. Like, man, I get that. You're, you're upset. You're angry. You're disappointed. You're confused. Me too. And so we cling together in our common trauma. This is actually called trauma bonding. Have you ever heard of this? People who have similar traumas bond. So if you're deconstructing, it's a crisis. And what happens is, is we bond to the emotion of those who are going through what we go through. But the reality is, is many of the people that we are bonding with are in process. And so what happens is, it's like, hey, we're all lost in the woods, but I'll follow you. You're, you don't know where to go? Well, me neither, but I'll follow you through this process. Because, man, we get each other and we understand each other. But the reality is, is if you're going to get through some things in life, you've got to find somebody who's gotten through it before. Like if your marriage is about to implode and you're on your way and you're beginning to doubt and you're having all these words, you need to find someone whose marriage has been restored that was about to implode. How did you get through this? What did you do? How did you find your way? If you've got a kid who's prodigal and has left the faith and you are desperately trying to figure out what to do, Go talk to someone whose kid has left the faith or gone far away and how they prayed for their kid and how they had those conversations and and how did they love them and lead them in that moment of being away and they found their way home. So this this is what John is going to say. He's going to say, look, if we're going to begin this process, guys, we got to follow people who have been there, not people who are in process right now. But here's what we can do. When we find those people who are in process, we can come together with them. We can find community with them. And we can encourage one another to follow someone and to go after someone who's been there before. For so many of us, we we so many times concern ourselves and, and walk with people who haven't been where we need to go. And here's what John says, that's really interesting in this first few verses. He says, the person and the message of Jesus are inseparable. Because here's what happens to a lot of people. I'm into the guy, Jesus. Like, he seems so nice. He seems great. He seems like someone I could hang out with. He seems like he knew what was going on. I like the guy. I don't know if I really like the message, though. And so I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to really follow his message here. He's a great teacher. He's, he seems like a great guy. He seems like obviously somebody important, but there are parts of what he's saying that I don't really agree with. And so I'm going to take you as a person, but what you really believe in, in what you're really saying, I'm out on that. And what John is going to say here is you can't have Jesus and dismiss everything that he said. And so if we're going to figure this out, if we're going to find our way through this storm and answer the questions and, and get where we need to be, we can't divorce Jesus from his message. We have to figure this out together and walk with this together. And John says this, I knew him. I saw him. I talked to him. I lived life with him. I was there. I was there. When Jesus transfigured on the mount and I saw him in all of his glory. I was there. I know the doubts that you're having. I was there the day that he was betrayed. I was there the day that he died. I was there. I know. I know what this disappointment feels like. I know what this confusion feels like. I know what this doubt feels like. I know and I've been there, but I found my way through this. And so here's what John is saying to them. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone in the sea of doubt. You're not alone in the sea of worry. You're not alone in this anxiety. I'm with you because, man, I've been there. And God changed me through this process. And so now that the pain and and the doubt and the confusion that I've gone through, man, that's now a blessing. And I didn't get it then that, that the heartache and the things that I was going through then would be my ministry now, but I'm here. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to walk with you in this moment. Because, man, I don't know about you. I've been in places in the world that I probably shouldn't have been in. They were dangerous. I, I literally showed up on a bridge one day. We were helping refugees on this bridge, and they were like, hey, by the way, don't bring any cameras, don't bring any of this stuff. And if you hear gunshots, we have barricades up there because yesterday there were gunshots on the bridge, and they were shooting at us. And I was like, what What am I doing here? Like, What? But I, was, I didn't find the guy and go, hey, so do you know where the barricades are? And they're like, no, I, I don't. Oh, cool, I'm with you. We're together. We're lost. And I found the guy, and I was like, do you know where the barricades are? And he's like, yeah, they're right there. And I was like, cool, I'm with you, bro. Walk me that way. Right? I'm not, we got to be discerning and use wisdom through this process. And let me just tell you something. When we feel lost many times... Discernment goes out the window. Why? Because we're scared. We, we, we begin to walk into situations. And anyone in here been in a moment where you didn't know what to do in a situation. You were lost and you did some of the craziest stuff ever. And then afterwards, like, why did I do that? Like, I don't get why I did that. Because fear and lostness and doubt has a way of turning off our ability sometimes to think clearly. It's chaos and confusion, and God's not the author of that. And so we need to be, find a way and use discernment and walk in wisdom about what we really need to do. But not only that, we really need others in the process. Look at what John says starting in verse 3. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is what he's saying. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to, to find confidence in your faith and find confidence in what God has said. And that you can follow him so clearly. That would be our joy. For you to know him and to follow him. This is what John says, that we, we write these things to you so that we can have fellowship and we can have life together. Because we have life with the Father and we have life with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we want you to experience these things. Because let me tell you, anyone ever watch a National Geographic special when wolves hunt sheep? You ever watch one of these? It's in right? There's some music. They, they pick the cutest little lamb. And you're like, not no, not not the lamb, not sheepy, right? You look at him and it's like, bat and it's happy. It's frolicking in a field of flowers and then it's like happy music and then they cut over and there's the worst looking wolf you've ever seen in your life. And you're like, I can't, someone pause it, please. And then like the lamb is running and you're cheering. You're like, hey, run, run. And then, like, you notice that the pack of wolves sees little lammy, and what they do is they, they push little lammy away from the herd. And, you, like, you know what's going to happen. You're like, I'm just going to fast forward. They're having a feast. Someone's having lamb chops tonight. Right? And so what happens is the wolves isolate the lamb because the lamb is weakest and most vulnerable when it's alone. And what happens for so many of us is when we find ourselves in a deep season of doubt, we begin to isolate ourselves from community and fellowship, maybe because it's embarrassing, maybe because we're worried, maybe because those people hurt us. I don't know. But we, doubt has a way of isolation. And then the only voice in your head generally is the doubts that you have. And what happens is is you grow isolated. And when you grow isolated, you are easily controlled. This is why Jesus tells us, do not forsake the assembly of the body. Do not forsake the gathering of believers. Do not forsake coming together. This is why Jesus even sent the disciples out so many times in pairs. Because he understood and knew that when you are alone and isolated, you are most vulnerable. So this is what John says, hey... I've been there, and I've walked down this, and I'm with you, and you can't do this alone. Because if you do this alone, this can have disastrous consequences on you because you are most vulnerable. And let me just tell everyone in here, does anyone ever say things in their head that sound great, but when you say it out loud, you're like, that makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah, Zara's right there. Me. Right? Like, you think, this is so smart and so good. And then you say it. And then someone's like, what did you just say? You're like, nothing. I was just testing it. It didn't stick. Let's move on. (laughs) I had this student in uh, college tell me, "Uh, man, you you don't know what you're talking about. There is no such thing as absolute truth. You could see he was like, yeah. (laughs) And I said, is that absolutely true? He said, what? I said, you just said there's no such thing as absolute truth. He's like, yeah. And I said, is that absolutely true what you just said? And he goes, I see what happened. I'm going to come back later. I got to let it cook. Because I was like, man, if you say no, then there is absolute truth. And if you say yes, that's an absolute truth. Do you guys realize that that's one of the dominant theories in the world right now? There's no such thing as absolute truth. You sure about that, bud? (laughs) Because, man, the very statement is self-defeating. we got to keep thinking about this. But it sounds good in your head, right? And this is why John looks at us and says, you can't be alone in this process. And I'm like, we're not here to make fun of you, but sometimes someone can say, hey, I know that you thought about that, but are you sure about that? I mean, I, I hear I'm in meetings sometimes and I'm, I'm in counseling sometimes and I hear men and women both say, you know what? I think the best thing that I can do is divorce so-and-so and then go and do this and go and do that. And man, life's going to be perfect. And the question I ask is like, are you sure about that? Because that whole plan sounded great in your head until it came out into life. And man, you need other people that love you to just say like, Hey, are you sure you want to walk down that path? Like if you do, I'm with you, like, and I love you. I'm not, I'm not the wind at your back, but I will be the pers- boat beside you when the raft begins to sink. I'm with you, I love you. And loving people is sometimes loving them as they walk towards something that is so harmful to them, but you love them so much, you're, I'm with you. This is what John is saying. I'm with you and you're not alone in this process and we gotta get together. But not only that, for a lot of us, we we find ourselves in this place where, we're, we're what we're saying is is like, hey, we're going to be tearing this down, and then that's where the process stops. We're like, you know, I'm just going to tear this down. I'm not sure about this Jesus thing anymore. I'm not sure about this church thing anymore. I'm not sure about this God thing anymore. I'm not sure about all of this stuff. And you say like, okay, cool. So where are we headed? I just got to the burn down part. I don't what. There's more? Yeah, because you just destroyed a worldview. How are you going to live now? Like what's right and wrong? What's okay and what isn't? Uh, I didn't think about that yet. So this is what John's going to say to us. He says this. We got to make sure we are clear about where we're headed. So if you're in this process, here's how I would encourage you. One is don't be alone. You can't be alone. Find someone who's been there to help you. But also, like, where are you headed? You know, if you don't know where you're going, you won't arrive anywhere. You'll arrive somewhere, but is that where you need to be? Like, uh, so I did something exciting on Friday night. Uh, Jude and I, that's my son, he's five. And then Ramsey, Bell, and Banner, we made our way down to Miami. And we went to Messi's opening game at Miami. And we got, to, like, we got to spend time there, and we got to be together. It was an awesome experience. Messi won the game on a free kick in the last, like, 20 seconds of the game. It, we were screaming. Jude, it was up till like, midnight. It was awesome. We loved it. <clears throat> uh, I think I let him eat ice cream for dinner. I mean, it was good. Life was good. But you know what? When Ramsey and I got in the car and we were driving with the boys down to Miami, I didn't put in the GPS somewhere down near South Beach. I didn't just be like, hey, do you know where we're going? I don't know where we're going. We're going to see Messi. Well, where's Messi? I don't know. I never figured that out. So let's just make our way down there, and we'll try to figure it out when we get there. No, I put in my GPS the stadium. That's where we're going. I'm making clear about where I'm headed and what's going on. And yes, we may need to take some diversions along the way and all that, but I know where I'm going. Made clear the path. And the destination makes clear the path that you're going to take. For so many of us, we take a path that's not clear because we don't know where we're headed. And so here's what John is going to say, 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10. Listen to what John says. This is the message we have heard from him, that being Jesus, and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words are not in us. I told you, because of this teaching that flesh is evil, then people are like, so how did Jesus pay for my sins? Like if he's not really human, did he really die and did he really pay for my sin?" Or if he is just a human, then how did he not sin? How am I saved? And John says this, I want you to know who he is. I want you to walk in light. I want you to know him for what he is doing in this life. John says this, I want you to know God and we want you to follow God. That's where we're headed together. In this letter, that's the journey we're taking. I want you to know God and I want you to follow God because those are two very different things because knowing God does not equate to following God because Satan knows God doesn't follow God demons know God they don't follow God there's a lot of people that I've watched at award shows that their song is about some of the worst things in the world and they thank God and I'm like well yeah you know God but I don't know if you follow God And so John's going to say, like, look, this is going to get real practical. I don't just want you to have head knowledge. I want your heart to be transformed, and I want you to know in your heart who God is and that you can follow after him. Let's make clear where we are headed. Because if we're in this room and we're not making clear about where we are headed in this life, what I find is, is it's not really this moment about getting back to God and really figuring this out. This is just using my doubt for denial so that I can go live any way that I want. And so where are you headed in this room if you are in the process of deconstructing? Are you leading towards denial? Then no argument. No, no, nothing in here. If you've set your mind on denial so that you can live whatever way you want and your doubt is the excuse to get you there, then this is, like, we can, like, we, we need to have a different conversation. But if you're, motive in this room is really this. I just want to know God. I want to know the truth. That's my desire is to know God and to follow God. And some of the things that I've seen in church and in life and some of the things that they told me about, I don't know. So I'm really struggling about what is baseline truth, but I want to know God. We can have a different conversation. But what I've found in this current era is a lot of people grew up in Christianity, and this is cultural Christianity. And what happens is they begin to have these doubts and they use these doubts to then deny it so that they can live whatever way they want. And so where are we in the room? Where are we online? Is it really doubt that we're trying to figure this out or is it just denial? The destination will determine the path. And for John, what John says is the destination for me is very clear. I want you to know God, and I want you to follow God. That's where we're headed. Are you in? So if you're in this room, that's where we're headed. It's okay to have doubts. There's no, You will not be met with anger, disappointment, shame, embarrassment in this room if you are struggling. In fact, last night, <clears throat> a young man came up to me, and he said, Man, when you were talking, it's like you were talking to me. And I was like, are you doing okay? He said, no, man, Mike, everything is on fire. And I'm like freaked out. And its I realized how precious faith is, but now I'm struggling. And he said, can I meet with you this week? I was like, yes, let me get you my email. And you know what? I'm so proud of this dude. He emailed me when he got home. He said, Pastor Blake, thank you so much for being willing to meet with me. Can we meet this week? Yeah, we can. I can't wait to meet with this young man. If you're watching this morning, I can't wait to see you this week. Why? Because it's like he decided where he wanted to go, and we're going to make a path to get him there together. I wasn't angry at him. I was, I was, I, when he told me that with tears in his eyes last night, I looked at him and I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for just, like, get it out. Let's figure this out together. I'm proud of you for stepping out in this moment to find what you really need to find and not to suffer alone anymore. What path are you on? Now, this next part of the message, um, I I, I need to ask everyone, can everyone just lift up your feet off the floor? So just an illustration, just lift your feet up. Real high, come on, high knees, let's go. (laughs) Who said you couldn't get fit while you're in church? You can't, right? So here's the deal. What I'm about to say, everyone's feet are off the ground, right? Okay, good. So no one can say I stepped on your toes today, okay? All right? Because here's what I find happens more times than not. When fundamentalism kills faith. When we start to equate things in the Bible, this is what I think brings crisis for so many people. When we start to equate things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't make expressly clear and we say, well, there's only one way and this is the only way. And if there's any other way, then you're not a Christian. So let me open you guys up to maybe one of these arguments, <clears throat> because this was the day that I realized, because I, I became a Christian later in life, and when I first went to Liberty, <laughs> I wasn't a Christian. And so when I walked into Old Testament theology and Old Testament survey, it was like a whole new thing for me. But I, I saw about 500 kids in my class, faith, almost like, I saw the spark light. Because the professor said this, Hey guys, we're going to open up to Genesis chapter 1 today. Just want to let you know that Genesis chapter 1 is poetical. Some of you may have, and he started to lay out about four different theories on the beginning of creation. One is young earth, six literal days. There's something called the day age theory that every day represents an age of time. There's something called the gap theory that there is a day of creation and then a gap of time and then a day of creation and then a gap of time and a day of creation and a gap of time. And so what begins to happen is is Genesis is not always about how to, it's that God did. God did create everything. God is the creator of all things. That is the truth. Of What is going on? God is the creator of all things the sustainer of all things. Nothing that exists exists apart from God. That's the truth But how did God do that? We all have some arguments about and what I realized is is there were kids in different camps in that room and when he started to say The different theories and what he would do. I appreciated this He would give the validity in the arguments against each theory it's like the house fire began in some of their lives. Because what happened is, is they grew up in places where they said, if you don't believe this about creation, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe this about how God did it, you're not saved. If you believe this about this, you're a heretic. And I watched in this room of people with good intentions trying to give certainties to some things in the past allowed a fire to light in these kids' lives, because here's what happened. I walked out of the room, and this one kid, a, a guy I had just met, I, he looked so upset, and I was like, hey man, are you okay? And I was like, that was a really interesting class. And he was like, no. And he's like, I didn't even know that there were other options. And because I didn't know that there were, he's like, what else have they lied to me about? And I was like, I don't know if anyone lied to you. I just think they gave you their opinion. Because what a lot of us have tried to do in life is we try to take faith out of Christianity. And everything's about certainty. And let me tell you something. There are some things we know with absolute certainty, 100% absolutely. But there's other things that we don't know. Because God doesn't get super specific. Because let me just tell you something. This can inform some of our science, but this isn't a science textbook. So science can't go against what this says, right? It can't, it can't go against the, the truth of the word, but it also, like Genesis is not a science textbook, Revelation is not all just about like these things, like it's not clear all of the time and we have to understand these things. But what happens is, is we preach certainty when there isn't certainty. And when young people and us, we find things that aren't certain that we thought were, our foundation gets shaky and we freak out. I mean, this guy blew up the first book of the Bible, the first chapter for some of these kids. And he did it with the best intentions and he really helped students get through this But what I realize is is sometimes we create fundamental things that aren't fundamental. And when those things go away, we have crisis. How about this? Maybe you're like, I don't have that kind of theology things. But what about the way that Christians are supposed to behave and don't? I have some people in my family that um, are not Christians. And I've asked, you know, like, why? And it says, the reason I'm not a Christian is because of Christians. I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, the way that they live. They say they believe this and they live this way. And that created a crisis for them. And so, where are we in this moment? I, I was joking with Ramsey uh, in the car and I said this I said, most people are one PBS special away from a crisis. One PBS special away from a crisis. And so where are you? Maybe that's what happened. Maybe you were like watching a documentary. You got to college and, you, and something else was presented to you and that just lit a fire for you. And it's been a slow burn. I mean, you're still here kind of. But are you here because like, well, that's what I've always done. And I feel guilty if I don't go to church. Or is it I want to be there because I love Jesus and I love his people and I want to be around them. And man, they're not perfect, but man, I love this place. Man, I'm about God's people. In fact, here's like a little story a couple of years ago. Kelsey and I have always held... Oh, uh, uh, there are really young kids in here? Any young, really young kids? I don't want to like blow up any... But she's little. All right, so she's like a baby. We'll be okay. All right, that's okay. We love kids in here, but what I'm about to say... <laughs> might blow up some little minds in here, okay? So Piper was little. Piper's very skeptical. Well, she's our oldest. She actually... Happy birthday, Piper. Today, Piper is 11. <clears throat> and so, please, when you see her, tell her happy birthday. She'll be happy to tell you that it is her birthday. Um, but um, <laughs> this was funny. This was years ago. Uh, and we were talking about the tooth fairy. And Kelsey and I, like, very, we're just vague about it. You know, like, we're going to let you, if you want to, enjoy, but we're not going to be like, the, yep, absolutely real. There's this fairy, they collect teeth. what they do with them i don 't know. <laughs> they have little tooth houses it's weird, you know, and it, but they give you money and, uh, and we told our kids, we told them, if your teeth are dirty, she pays less, right So, like get them to brush their teeth like you, there's high quality and low quality teeth. It depends on what you do and so <clears throat> so we would just vaguely talk about this like very we're not like committing and like with um Santa as well, like, we're not committing. If I blew up someone's mind and you're 60 years old, we got to have a conversation, okay? So, but we have this conversation, and Piper one day goes, okay, can I just, because Kelsey and I, are like, aren't super committed to this, there's, like, the tooth stays under the pillow for a couple of days, because we forget, okay? And so, she's like, the tooth fairy didn't come. I was like, huh, yeah, maybe another day, <laughs> you know? So then there was one day, it was like five days. We just, we were terrible, right? And so <laughs> Piper finally looks at us and she goes, all right, tell tell me the truth. And I'm like, we haven't lied to you. She's like, is the tooth very real? And I, Kelsey and I sat there and we said, what do you think? <laughs> and she's thought about it and she goes, I don't. I don't think so and I was like I think that's a good judgment call and then she goes okay I have another question you could see she was getting like oh huh, like you know and she goes I have another question I was like yeah and she goes Santa what about and I and then she goes stop wait I'm not ready she goes stop and she literally said I'm not ready yet I'm not re-. she just walked out I'm not ready for this yet and so what happened is is like we were very cautious about talking about like we're like no we we haven't done like the santa lap and the letters and all that stuff and we just didn't do that and we we want to allow this childlike wonder but also be very conservative and what we're saying is this is absolutely true because what we never wanted was what about santa what about god Because we knew and we had experienced full sail fires in people's lives. And so we wanted to always be able to say like, hey, we kind of like allowed you guys to enjoy the Santa thing. But we never were like, yeah, he's full sail in. But we've been full sail in with Jesus. And if God is not real, we would have told you. I promise you that. Because we didn't want to create a crisis in their life. Because when we make things that aren't absolute, absolute. When they go away in people's life, they have a crisis. And so what happens is, is you and I have to begin to think through this. And here's what John is going to say. When you are in a process of rebuilding, you have to get back to basics. So just listen real quickly to what John says. I'm going to read these verses again, and we're going to jump into one other area. It says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Could you imagine doubting that you're saved or rescued or that your sin has been forgiven? This would be a crisis. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Those are the people who are deniers and do whatever they want. And his word is not in us. And then it says this, look at at this term of endearment. You can tell that John cares for them. He says this, my dear children, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, he's like, here's the good news about the truth and absoluteness of Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. This is what John says. Let's just get back to basics. Let's just get back to basics, guys. Let's start there and we're gonna go from here. And here's the basics. These are the really simple things. The first is this, God is good and there's no darkness in him. He's not a liar, he's not a thief. He didn't tell you and sell you a bag of goods, that isn't true. God declared that Jesus was his son in whom he is well pleased. And God declares that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And that is true. And God is good and there is no darkness in him. But not only that, the truth is John tells us something about us. And he says this, we are not good and we have a tendency to run towards darkness. We have a tendency to run towards things that will harm us. I really believe if you look at like everything in creation, humanity is basically the only thing that will do things to itself that kills itself. We overeat. We, we overdrink. We pursue things that we shouldn't that harm us. That That how many of us followed something in our life that we thought would give us all of the happiness and all it did was take it all away? And so what happens is, is he's, he says, "Look, here is here's the, here's the good news and the bad news. God is good, and there is no darkness in Him. And we we walk towards darkness, but He says this. But God's for love is great. God's love for us is greater than our sin and our doubt. And all we need to do is turn to Him. It's like a good news sandwich. God is good, and He loves us. And in between there, there is us, and we walk towards darkness, but God is greater than that." Those are the basics. Let's not doubt that. Let's look at the goodness of God. Let's look at what he does. And I know that some of us in this room have experienced things in our life that on the surface do not seem okay and that God can't do anything with it, but he can. He can. And he will. And so what do we do as we get ready to end this morning? Here's the reality. It's one thing that I think is so crucial to this for you and I to succeed, and it's this, stay humble. Because here's what I found. Remember that guy I told you about that story that concocted this great moment to tell me how everything in Christianity wasn't true because there's no such thing as absolute truth? He became, in that moment, extremely prideful. Remember, he was smug, looked at me like, yeah, I got you. Here's the reality for a lot of us. You may be experiencing some things in your life. There may be some old truths and things like that that you're having to disentangle and say, here's the truth of the Bible, and here's the culture. and The Bible needs to inform the culture, not the culture inform the Bible. And you may be figuring some things out in your life, and I'm all about that. But stay humble because prideful people are unteachable. And if you're unteachable, you'll walk down whatever road you want. You won't find mentors. You won't find people you have everything figured out in your own mind because you know what's best. And anybody who's had a kid in their life knows that this is the tendency of people. Right? I, like how many of us have, I, I love when my kids get brave enough and, and confident enough to make their own food. I'm all about that. But also like when they start making the food and you're like, yeah, don't eat that raw egg. It's not cooked because you're going to get salmonella." And they're like, it's cooked. I know what I'm doing. Like, because we are lovingly gracious, we're going to intervene, right? And say, like, no, 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 we got to cook this for a few more minutes. And there are times that I'll just let my kids make mistakes. Like, yep, you know better. All right, go for it. And then the conversation after the failure is not, I told you so. It is, I love you so. Can I help you through this? Can I help you through this? But the moment we think we got it all figured out is the moment we don't. And let's not try to make our Christianity and our life absent of faith. Because Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so there's going to be some moments of uncertainty. There's going to be some moments to figure this out, but it's not as if God has failed. We're just in process, guys. And that's okay. God didn't die for you so that you would become perfect. He had his perfect son die for you. And he doesn't expect you to be perfect now. He is redeeming us and changing us. And here's where I want to leave us this morning as we get ready to worship God. Even when you're doubting, even when you're struggling, even when you're uncertain and you don't know the path home and you don't know what to do and you feel so lost in this room right now, God is still there. And you may be walking down a road in a path of some new knowledge that you have gotten that is so detrimental to you. And God is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And if you feel like, man, Pastor Blake, I'm so convicted and how could I have ever doubted and how could I have ever gone through these things? I don't know if there's a way home. There's a way home. God is with you. And he is waiting for you, and that's the truth. God is good, and there's no deceit or darkness in him. And we have a tendency to walk towards it, but even when we do, God loves us. And so if you're in this room and you're doubting and you're struggling and you're going through a hard time and you don't know what to do, it's really okay. Okay. It's really okay. You don't need to suffer in silence anymore. You don't need to do this by yourself anymore. You can walk with others in this place. And you can find healing and you can find hope. And you can find those who have walked through these valleys that you find yourself in right now. And the only way to get through to that is not to have us read your mind or your face or your thoughts. But to just come tell us about what's going on. And that's why I'm so proud of that young man yesterday. Because finally, he just let it all down and said, I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. And he was like, great. I don't know all the answers, but I'm here to walk through this with you. And I will give every single person in this room and listening online the same promise. We will walk with you. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned in this place, but you will be met with compassion, empathy, joy and peace of people who are ready to lift up your arms and walk with you through this season. Find some people who have been there. And so today, I just want to pray over us and we're going to sing together. Sing together. And sometimes when our hearts are struggling so much, our minds need to tell our hearts the truth. And we just keep telling it the truth until our hearts come into alignment. And so let let me pray over us this morning and let us worship in this moment. God, we love you for you are good and great and kind and generous and patient and loyal when we are not. And your word says that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to you but through him. And so Lord, if we are people in this room who truly desire the truth and are seeking after the truth, I fully believe we will find your son. And Lord, if we have have shied away or we have begun to drift away, God, would you just remind our hearts that you're right there. That you're right there and you're next to us and you're with us and you love us. Give us the courage to step out in faith. And although it may all be burning down, we realize how precious our faith is. And so Lord, may we pursue it and pursue you together. God, we love you. We honor you in this moment. We praise you this day in Christ's name. And everyone said.